mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Well, hey, Heritage, how's it going this morning? That's good. I want to give a special shout. Out to my boys at Kiwani. How's it going over there, dudes? And uh, those there at Bettendorf tuning in and those online, thanks for checking us out here today. Uh, it's so good to finally be back here in Rock Island. I've been gone for a couple of weeks, and some of you have been following and tracking along with uh, the Abel family journey, and some of you, this might be new information, but we were in Haiti for the past couple of weeks uh, getting to meet our soon-to-be adopted daughter there, which was pretty cool. So we were there for a couple of weeks. Uh, there were some great times for that. There were some unique challenges that were there as well, but uh, we look forward to being able to share a lot of that with you. Uh, many of you are like, hey, I would love to see some pictures and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, unfortunately, we can't share pictures publicly of her because she's uh, not legally our daughter yet. So we're just not able to do that fully yet. But uh, we would love to be able to talk with you, share any stories or questions, answer any of that that you might have uh, for Amber and I. But just want to thank you again for the ways that you have continued to come around us as a family, uh, supporting us and the boys and caring for us and all of those things as we have walked this journey. It's been really amazing to see the ways that God has moved in and through uh, this journey for us as a family, and I uh, would love to share more about that with you. So find us. We love to talk about it, as is understandable right now. So... Um, now, I just want to kind of shift gears as we get ready to jump into our message time here this morning. One of the things that I love about Heritage Church is the fact that we have so many great teachers of the Word. Uh, Pastor Sean does a primary job for, uh, of teaching for us and does an amazing job doing that. Uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, we've had a number of other teachers from staff here who have been teaching. Uh, Brandon, Justin, Josh have been doing a great job for us as well. And so I just have uh, loved being able to hear from some different voices within our staff and just thank God for all of that. If you've missed any of those, I would encourage you to go to Heritage QC, check those out, and uh, learn from the different psalms that we've been walking through as of late. Well, today we're jumping into Psalm 51. And uh, it's a great psalm, a ton of great content and things that God, I think, wants to say to each one of us through it. And I'm just going to be honest. 
that in my time of preparation uh, for this message and reading through this psalm, uh, God was doing just some really big work in me and just there was some heavy uh, lifting in the preparation for this psalm. And so what I want to do now that we've kind of done some of our initial kind of housekeeping and welcome stuff is I know we had a great time of worship and prayer just now, but I just want to pray for us as we jump into this psalm. And so I would invite you just to, to bow your heads. And if you feel comfortable or confident in that, uh, just turn your hand up or even just reach a hand out and just say, God, I'm ready to hear from you here today. So let's pray together. Father, God, and Son, and Holy Spirit, that you would move in this place. And as we open your word, Father, we know that you are seeking to reveal your heart, your plan, and your desire for us. Give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to apply your truth today. Amen. All right, Psalm 51. You ready to go? Okay, two of you are ready to go. That's good. We're going to jump in. All right, so we've been talking through Psalms is a collection of collections. It's a book of books, and we can kind of break those books into different categories. We can talk about Psalms that are praising God, Psalms that help us understand Him better, wisdom Psalms, as well as Psalms of lament and many others past that. Last week we talked through a Psalm of lament. Justin walked us through that in Psalm 13 helping us remember to look up to God in our times of trouble and difficulty for help from him. So this is Psalm 51, is another lament psalm. It's also another psalm that was written by David of David and Goliath fame. Okay, so this is a lament psalm written by David, uh, but it has kind of a unique twist to it and that it's a penitential psalm, meaning that David's attitude in this time is one of penitence, meaning that he realized that he has done something wrong He's screwed up and he's coming to God in that attitude, okay? And so in many psalms, we don't know the context. Uh, we can infer from some of the context clues or some things surrounding the psalms, but some psalms we don't. Uh, this psalm, however, we know the author and we know actually in this specific time in full context behind this psalm. And so we're going to kind of look at that real quick. Uh, so this is the, uh, the introduction written as such, says Psalm 51, for the choir director, a psalm of David, regarding the time Nathan, the prophet, came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. All right, so some of you know this story of David and Bathsheba, and some of you, this might be a little bit new. So I'm going to give us kind of a quick overview because this helps give the context for this entire psalm. And you can read the whole, uh, the whole story of this in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12 and get all of the nitty-gritty details of it. Uh, so I noted that in your note guide. You can read that at a later time. But I'm just going to give you kind of the flyby of this whole story, okay? So King David is the king of Israel at this time. And at this time, uh, this is when the armies tend to go out uh, for war and for conquest and different things like that. David elects to not go out with his armies, but rather to stay home and uh, hang out at the palace and receive word from his generals about what was going on. He's up on the roof, walking around, enjoying a nice stroll, uh, looks across his kingdom and sees a woman taking a bath. And he says, wow, that lady's hot. 
finds her super attractive, all right, and then says, hey, uh, who is that? To his servants, his servants say, oh, well, that's Bathsheba. She is the wife of one of your soldiers who is out at war currently for you. And he goes, okay, why don't you have her come to the palace? So they invite her to the palace, and they proceed to Netflix and chill for a little while. For some of you who don't know what that means, it means they slept together, okay? So they slept together, and then he sends her home. All right, super classy move by Dave, but this is what he does, all right? And uh, shortly thereafter, Bathsheba finds him and says, hey, uh, David, I'm pregnant and it's yours. Dave kind of freaks out and is like, I don't know exactly what to do here. So he starts putting together all of these different plans to try and cover up his misdeeds, right? None of these plans come together. And what ultimately he ends up doing is putting together this conspiracy to have Bathsheba's husband killed in the line of duty in battle. Right? Kind of crazy. Sounds a lot more like a midday soap opera or a show on the CW, way more than it does a Bible story. But I'm telling you, it's all there, okay? So this is what's going on. And then Bathsheba has the baby. And then Nathan comes and confronts him about the whole situation. And David at this point breaks down and then starts to ask for forgiveness from God. And at this point right here is where David writes this psalm. And some scholars call this psalm the sinner's guide. Because while it is highly personal for David, it's a, it's a repentant psalm from him, it also helps us and gives us a framework to understand what sin is, how it works, the consequences of it, but ultimately how we find freedom and healing and forgiveness from it. So the psalm opens, and you can imagine this is David just kind of on his knees. He's just been confronted with all the stuff that he has been doing wrong for so long. And he says this, starting in verse 1. To have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. And you will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. So David isn't trying to cover anything up here. He's just laying it out before God and saying, hey, have mercy on me. I have royally screwed this up. And you can look in this, these first four verses and uses all these kind of different unique words for sin. And I kind of highlighted them through here. You can see a stain, it's guilt, it's rebellion, it's evil. And so David is, is trying to just describe the depth of the nastiness of which he feels like he has really stepped into. And so we can understand the definition of sin from that, but our, our base definition really is anything, whether thought or deed, that is contrary to the will of God. And you can think about it really as like someone who is, who is shooting a, an, an arrow at a target. And if that very exact center bullseye is God's will, anything less than that is sin. And we think about that and we go, wow, according to that definition, we really must sin a whole bunch. We must miss the mark a lot. And that's true. It says in the Bible that all have sinned and fallen short, have missed the mark of the glory of God. 
And so David, by, by listing these descriptions, is trying to really describe his understanding of the depth of sin and what it can do. So David has, has asked for mercy. He's openly owning the sin that he has knowingly stepped into. But he takes it even one step further as he continues on in this psalm and talks about uh, how we, he was even born into sin. From his very first breath, he was a sinful person. And what, this is what we call original sin. This is all the way from Adam and Eve when they made that first sin and that first poor decision. Now we live with a sin nature within us from the day one that we are born that tends to lean away and has that bend towards self and self-reliance as opposed to leaning towards the things of God and who he is. Now, David doesn't spend a whole lot of time here, and so I'm not going to either, but the main point is that we are a sinful people. We start as sinful people. We continue by making sinful decisions, and that there's nothing that we can do to fix it. So now you can understand why David starts with that very first line of saying, have mercy on me, O God. And we can say the same, to have mercy on us, O God. So David continues on and he lists what he is asking for from God at this point. And this starts at verse Seven. He says, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to the rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. Now what I find interesting about this passage right here is that it's full of things that David is asking for from God. And the thing is, we only ask for that which we do not already have, right? So if I was standing here and I had a glass of water in my hand and then I went up to you and I said, hey, can I have a drink of water? You'd look at me like I was a crazy person because, yes, I already have water in my hand. But... If I realize in my own self that I don't have water and I go, hey, can I have a drink of water? Of course, you would say, yeah, sure, I'll give you some water. The other way is that you can approach me and saying, hey, you know what, Steve? You really look like you could use a drink of water. Can I get you some? And then as I reflect upon whether I, what I've been doing that day or whatever, I'm like, yeah, I've been working really hard or whatever, and I really could use a drink of water. And so in that same kind of way, you know, David has done these, these horrible actions. He sinned against God. He was called out and realized his need to repent. It's kind of like Nathan, that prophet of God, came to him and said, hey, you need a drink of water. And David at that point, reflecting back on his life and where he was and that standing at that point, realized, wow, I really do need all of these things. And so he comes to God saying, I haven't even understood the depth and the breadth of how far away I am 
from you at this point. And so I need you to step in and heal me. And so we can learn a lot from this section because David, what he effectively does is uh, continues to describe the effects of unconfessed sin in our lives. What happens to us when we, we knowingly step into sin and do not repent? Now I've put six lines on your, your note guide for you to kind of write these down as we go through these effects of unconfessed sin. So let's, let's kind of walk through those. The first is that we have a wrong spirit. He says, create in me a clean heart, renew a loyal spirit within me. And so the reason he's asking for a loyal spirit is because he realized that his spirit isn't in the right spot to begin with. So when we have unconfessed sin in our lives, our spirit is messed up. It is wrong, it's distorted, cracked, fractured, not in the correct place any longer. Next is that we are separated from God's presence. He says, do not banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Now this is a, a, one of those scary verses that sometimes people kind of hang on to and they can get a little out of whack because they can misinterpret and kind of make incorrect assumptions. See, the understanding here is that God is holy and righteous and pure and that when we have unconfessed sin in our lives, we are unholy, unrighteous, and impure people. And so those things of holiness and unholiness cannot coexist in the same space. And so there is a distance that is created there. And so what David is realizing and talking through is that when we have those things, that there is a space between us and God that is undesirable. This isn't a case for, say, like losing one's salvation. It just puts a space and a gap between us. David doesn't want to be far away from God. Just like we don't want to be far away from God, but at the same time, when we have unconfessed in our lives, it creates a space that we do not always intend or desire or want until we are, it is revealed to us that we are doing such a thing. Next is that we lose the joy of salvation. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. So he's realizing that he has lost that joy. And when we have unconfessed sin, we tend to, to judge, we, we get mean, we look for the worst in people instead of believing the best. Our time with God or connecting with him can start to feel like a burden or a chore rather than a joy. And we forget the joy of living in a life of freedom. Next is that our witness for Christ is diminished. So then I will teach your ways to the rebels and they will return to you. So David is saying that I will, I will now declare the things that you have been teaching to me and people will come back to you. When you have unconfessed sin in your life, the ways that you're speaking to those around you lacks power and authority. God can do things through all of us and we are thankful for that. But we have unconfessed sin. We can speak, but it will lack power. We can proclaim truth, but it will lack authority. Next, number five, is that our inner song is gone. For you are the God who saves, and then I would joyfully sing of your forgiveness. There is a joy and a peace that reigns in us when we are in right connection and relationship to God. And having unconfessed sin is like kind of throwing a wet blanket over that speaker of our soul. 
And that song that lives and dwells within us becomes muffled and dark. Last, number six, our praise is gone. And this verse 15 is so clear. It says, unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. See, because the thing is, sin and unconfessed sin in our lives shuts us up. It makes us quiet to declare the truth of God, to speak of his goodness. We don't want to sing anymore. We don't want to be thankful anymore. We hold back in all of those things because we feel like we're being disingenuine to what's going on within us. And I know I have, have personally seen these play out in, in my own life and in the lives of those around me, times where I go, I just am not engaging in the world in a correct or a good, healthy way right now because there's stuff going on in my life that I haven't dealt with. And I know that you, at the same way, have seen that in either your own life or the lives of those around you. And I know that we could delve into each of those individual lines deeper and deeper but what I'm going to do is just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and talk to you and help reveal to you where you may need a drink of water right now. And again, this isn't a, a diagnostic tool that you take and you use against other people where you go, hey, I see that guy not singing. He must have unconfessed sin in his life. Okay, that's not, how, that's not what we're doing here. This is so that you can understand, maybe put words to what is going on within you. One writer put it this way, that sin, and that definition, sin is against God. It destroys our personality. It paralyzes our influence and is wholly incurable by human action. Now I understand this is kind of heavy stuff for a summer series. <laughs> But I really don't apologize for saying these things because I understand, I believe that God wants to do something new in me, in you, and in us today. So how do we, we get here? If we look and see that these are some of these effects of unconfessed sin in our lives, why do we tend to keep those things and sin in our lives? I think the deal is that we really don't like to confess. I've seen this even in my own life. There's times where it's like, I know I need to confess, but I would rather choose to hide than to bring it forward. I think we've gotten really good at, at rationalizing why it's okay for us to do and to step into the sin that we step into. And so I want to give us just a, a beginning list of some of the lies that we tend to believe and step into that create barriers for us for confession. So the first one is this. We just say, hey, well, we're all sinners. It's all right. It's just a part of what we do. And that's where the lie is. And it's true that we are all sinners. We talked about that. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. But it's not an excuse to continue just to step into sin. It's not, as it says in Romans, should we continue to sin more and more so that God's grace can abound more and more? Surely not. We're supposed to turn away 
from sin and live by the power of God. Next, we can say, well, it's not really that big of a deal. We're looking at a story today right now of David and Bathsheba where he sleeps with the guy's wife and then kills the guy. That's a pretty big deal. We go, well, I'm not as bad as that. There's way worse people around than me. They're doing this. I'm just kind of, you know, the thing I'm doing isn't really that bad. It's not that big of a deal. But if we remember that sin is first and foremost, any sin is against God. Even when we slightly miss that mark, we have sinned against him. Next is that we can blame others. Kids are super good at this one, right? They go, well, I hit him because he hit me first. I did this because he did that. I hear that all the time at my house right now. <laughs> but we read really good at blame. We justify ourselves of doing something that we know is wrong because we look at what other people have done, either to us or around us. But the deal is, just like we would say with our kids or the kids around us, you are responsible for your own actions and choices. Next is shame. We don't like to confess because we feel ashamed. We feel, hey, I shouldn't actually even have to struggle with this thing, so that if I'm confessing that, then I'm admitting that I'm really struggling with that. Or if I admit this, then I'm going to lose influence or relationship or connection. But that's where that lie is so based. Because sin is what really holds us in bondage and, and keeps us back from true influence, true relationship, true connection with those around us. We need to bring what we are dealing with into the light, confess it so that God can deal with it and we can have true freedom. But ultimately, if you sum all of these things up, it comes down to an issue of pride. All of those lies, all of those things our prideful responses, thinking that we are better, that we can understand and that we can know more than God. And so I would say and kind of sum it all up this way, that we don't confess sin because we believe in ourselves more than we believe in God. And I understand that's a pretty weighty statement to say and even to write down. But in all of those rationalizations, what we're doing is we're saying, we can handle it. We can deal with it. I can solve this. It's really not that big of a deal. You hear all of that I language of I can deal. I can, I can make that happen. I can solve it. Instead of realizing our need for God, we're saying, I can do this instead of having and saying, I know the only way that I can fix this is by God. See, David understood and said this so clearly when he's saying, God, purify me from my sin and I will be clean. Wash me, I will be whiter than snow. And he says to create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That word create that very first word there is also the same exact word of create when it says God created the heavens and the earth. 
So what David is saying here, he isn't just asking, you know, for a mulligan. He didn't just whiff it and be like, oh, wait, hold on. Let me try that one more time. This is David understanding that what is in him, as he said in those first four verses, is evil, is rebellious, is sinful. He knows that he has to remove that. And the only way to do that is to have God to create a new heart to be placed within him so that the old is gone and that the new has come. See, because sin messes us up. And the only way for, for us to fix it is really to go to God and have him create a new heart within us. Our spirit, as he talks about here, to renew a right spirit within me, our spirit is that which carries the image of God and that which is eternal within us. And so for that reason, David asked God to renew a right spirit with him, within him. The picture here is that of kind of like a sword that is, that is rusty and bent and dented and not able to cut or slice or do anything that it was meant to do, but then is given to the hands of a master craftsman who works it, cleans out the rust, purifies the metal, sharpens the edges, polishes the blade so that it is set, renewed, correct to do great and strong and mighty things. Oh God, that you would renew our spirits here today. Well, so what? What do we do with this? The thing is, I believe that God is already doing something here in this room or there at Kiwani or at Bettendorf. Or for those of you listening online, I believe God is already speaking to you. If there's unconfessed sin in your life. We have this great psalm as this sinner's guide for all of us. Because, let's be honest, we've all been here at one point or another. So what do we do? First, is that we confess our sin to God. Because the thing is, he knows it anyway, right? He already knows. He knew all the things that David had done. But he just wants us to step forward and own it. And step forward and confess. In 1 John 1.9, it says that if, if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. What a great promise for us to hold on to. And next, and this one's tough, but we are to confess our sin to another person. Now hear me, this isn't going to just some random person that you don't really know super well and confessing all of the things that you have done wrong in your life. But it's to confess it to someone that cares for you and will journey with you in accountability and healing. I've walked this journey myself and I've walked this journey with others. And I can I'm tell you, this can be hard. There is challenge in this. But the healing and the restoration and the relationship out of that 
is great. And some of us can think, well, the person that I first should have to talk this through is, is with a spouse. And that's not always the case. Sometimes that is. But sometimes it's someone else that's close to you that you need to work through that with before stepping into the rest of your family. But the thing is, is that too many of us, because of our, our pride, think that we can just say, I've, you know what, I've confessed this to God, and that's where it just, it, it's done. So I don't need to really tell anybody else about it. And that's just pride speaking. Because you are made for community. You are made for connection with one another. And that time where you're sharing that with someone else, that isn't so that they can absolve you of your sin. God is the only one that can absolve and forgive and get rid of that for you. When you're saying that to someone else and walking a journey, that is finding healing and restoration, and that is just and that is praising God for the things that he is already doing in and through you. That's why it says in James 5.16, to confess your sins to each other, to pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, if you remember, even at the beginning of this psalm, it was written for the choir director, right? Kind of a unique thing to say at the beginning. But David put forth his deepest, darkest sin to song to give to the choir director to be sung for the nations. Aren't you glad we don't do that today? <laughs> but he confessed it to God, and then he confessed it to others. Then, after confessing to God and to others, we repent. Which is just a fancy way of saying, turn 180 degrees away from that which was sinful in your life. Allow the clean heart and the renewed spirit within you to do good and to live as God intended you to live. Now, in just a moment, we'll have a, a time of, of reflection as we step into communion for you to be able to just reflect and think about maybe what God is saying to you in the midst of this. If there's unconfessed sin maybe within your life that you need to work through and deal with and either confess to God or confess to others or to repent and turn away from. But maybe today you're, you're just feeling so thankful for God's mercy. You understand your, your desire and need for him to solve what is within you and you've, you've worked through a lot of those things. And so if you're in that space of just peace and, and uh, thankfulness for him, I'm just celebrating that with you. And so allow the praise of God as it says that David said, unseal my lips so that I may praise you. Allow the praise of God to flow from you every chance that you get. Maybe today you're, you're realizing for the first time that you are a sinful person, not just in the things that you have thought and done, but that even from that very first breath that you have taken, that you are a sinful person, the only way that you can get that solved is by going to God and confessing that to him. And if that is the case for you today, I would really encourage you to flip that note guide over on the back. And there's a way to start your relationship with God here today. Start by confessing all of those things to him. Allow him to wash you and make you clean, white as snow. And then tell someone about it. Use that tear-off section. Find me or someone else with a name tag on here. 
Use the online connection card, whatever it is. Find a method to communicate that you have given your life to Christ today. Maybe you've committed your life to Christ, but yet you haven't been baptized yet, of declaring that before, publicly before people. We have baptism services coming up here in just a few short weeks. And so if you want to get baptized, we would love to do that with you. Find a comment card. Find a person. Write it somewhere and just say, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to be baptized. I want to declare before others that I have confessed my sin. I want to, I've confessed it before others. I'm walking in right relationship with God now. I want to celebrate that and identify with the body of Christ. And through any and all of those actions, we know that God is glorified. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for your mercy today. We are thankful for your unfailing love, for your great compassion. And we are so deeply aware today of our need for you and that you are, we are born into and can sometimes live in ways of sin that distort our connection to you and to others. So God, create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me, within us, so that we may shine your glory and declare your praise. Amen. Well, I find that it is so fitting as well that we are going to celebrate communion as well today. A communion is a time that we remember an act that Jesus put together for us to remember and celebrate his death upon the cross in which he defeats sin, and ultimately the penalty of death for each one of us. I think it's also so fitting that the word that David chose to use in his psalm when he says that uh, for our spirit, not only to renew the spirit within us, but to renew a right spirit within us. And right in this case means like a, a steadfast or a firm, upright spirit. But another way to think about it and the picture that he gives is like a table that is set perfectly to welcome a guest of honor. Which I think is such a beautiful picture to think about our lives, our very lives, our souls, our spirit being set so perfectly to welcome the creator God of the universe to dine and to connect with us. So in a moment, the ushers are going to come and pass uh, trays through the aisleways here. And uh, the elements, the cup uh, that has juice and bread is stacked one on top of another. Make sure to take both of those as you grab and pass to your neighbor. And we celebrate what's called open communion here at Heritage Church, meaning that you don't have to be a member here, but rather we would just ask that you are a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And if you are, we would love for you to participate in communion with us here today. So you will receive the elements and then we're going to engage in a time of worship together and then I'll invite you. You can just, you can take the elements whenever you feel led and pre prepared and ready. 
So the elements that when Jesus first did this with his disciples had weight, both literally and figuratively. They passed a, a large piece of bread, much larger than this symbol here today, but he passed it and broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. And so they would take that large piece of bread, it would have some weight in their hands as they would rip off and break off chunks. And so it had weight to it, but there was also that literal weight and figurative weight that Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. And so it started to change their understanding in their minds. And in the same way, he took the cup and said, this is a symbol of my blood poured out for a new covenant and will be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And so as they passed that cup and drank from it, they would feel the weight, but then also understand the actual weight that it carried as it was going to be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So I know today that as you will hold these elements in just a few short moments, they don't weigh very much. They're in little plastic cups and it's just a little bit of both. But I want you in this time of just reflection to look at both of those elements that you will hold. Imagine the weight of your sin on each of those elements. Because that is what Jesus Christ bore on the cross when he died. He bore our sin, your sin, my sin on the cross. And then when you eat and you drink, do so in just an attitude of thankfulness for what he has done for each and every one of us, dying so that we could have freedom, dying so that we could be clean and washed as snow, dying so that we could have a clean and new heart and a right spirit before him. And then when, again, when you are ready, take those elements in thankfulness. And then I invite you to stand and worship with us, declaring praise to our God together. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bless these elements. Do your work in this time as we confess to you, to others, repent, and then commit ourselves deeper in you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.